So during the worship, I felt God asked me a question. Fortunately, it was to do with the sermon as well. <laughs> and I want to ask you the same question. So what I'd like you to do is close your eyes just for a moment. Don't worry, there's nothing scary going to happen. I just want to ask you a question. So if you close your eyes, think back to the worship. You're standing there this morning, worshipping God in this room with your brothers and sisters. Who of your friends who don't know Jesus would you wish were really standing next to you? Who is it you want to be standing there with you, worshipping God, who don't know at this moment know Jesus? That's what God asked me. Two people came to mind and I got quite emotional. Because right at this moment, they're going to hell. And I don't want that for them. You can open your eyes now. I hope that you could think of someone, someone you know who's not a Christian, who you think, do you know what? I, I need to speak to them. I need to be a witness to them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about being a witness. So far this autumn, we've looked at, as, as the preaching series has gone on, we've looked at who we are as a family and how that affects uh, how we are with one another, how we treat one another, how we look after one another. And we also looked at how that affects how we do mission together. And when we looked at the topic of being a family on a mission, we saw that God doesn't have a mission for his church, but God has a church for his mission. We exist for the mission of God. And that's what I spoke on a few weeks ago. It's the same mission that God gave to Abraham right at the very start of what we call God's redemptive plan. God's plan to bring mankind back to himself after the fall, which we are all affected by. It was to be a blessing to all nations. We are a product of that because we have been blessed because we know Jesus now. But we are also carriers of that in that we are here to bless the nations. And that's what we looked at. But now we've moved on into a series on multiplying disciples. And I get to speak on the missional aspect of that, which I'm quite excited about. So if we carry that same mission that Abraham had, that has run through all of scripture and all of history. What is it we're specifically called to do? What is our part? What is your practical part in that mission? Well, what we're specifically called to do is make disciples. To make more and more and more disciples, to multiply disciples, which is why we're doing a series on multiplying disciples that Rob kicked off last week. We're not just on a mission to see people saved and added to the church. That's part of it. But we're on a mission to see disciples made. We're not looking for people just to make a decision or uh, say a particular prayer. We're looking for people to have an encounter with the living God that so changes them that they're standing here with us worshipping every day, every week all the time, that they're so changed that they're just followers of God and we're teaching them all that we know. 
That's what we're here for. There's no particular prayer they need to say. There's no particular one thing. It is a lifetime of following God. That is what we're after. That is what we want to see people turn to. We are looking for disciples. We're looking for new disciples. And we're doing this because Jesus told us to. After he had risen from the dead, and not long before he ascended to heaven, he said this, and this is in Matthew 28. Now we're going to look at lots of different scriptures today. You can turn with them. I apologise, I haven't got slides with them all on. I ran out of time for that. Um, But uh, I'll just read them to you anyway. So this is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I'm sure you will know this passage very well. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Remember, there's only eleven now, because Judas isn't there anymore. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They were told to go and make disciples, but they had to wait a little bit before that mission really got started. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but, and this is Jesus speaking, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, where it all starts to kick off. And I'm going to read a big chunk here, so I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, Verses 1 to 15. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples and the believers, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking them said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. 
And then Peter goes on and speaks some more and he links what has just happened with the outpouring of the Spirit to the prophecy in Joel that says that uh, God's Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And then he preaches Jesus to them. He tells them all about Jesus. And then he finishes with this in uh, verses 40 and 41. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. So that's a lot of scripture to go through, but I wanted to get all that set up. And it's important to read scripture, isn't it? Because it's pointless me talking about things if they're not in the Bible. But they are. So 3,000 were added. That would mess our life group system up, wouldn't it? You'd all be life group leaders straight away overnight. How do you fancy that? So what do we make of all this? Well, first, and as we looked at last time, first we go. Okay. When when Jesus said, go into all all the earth, make disciples, he's given us authority to go. And we know, because we looked at this, that you have gone. You've gone to where you are. Wherever you are now, Jesus has sent you there. He's put you there for his purpose. Secondly, we're to make disciples. And as Rob said last week, in an amazing sermon. (laughs) He didn't ask me, well, he did ask me to say that. No, he didn't. I was going to say it anyway, because it was brilliant. We're to make disciples. The church is here to make disciples. That's our point of existence. That's our reason of existence. If we're not doing that, then we're not doing what God has called us to do. Now, obviously, part of that is we're making disciples of one another. We're discipling one another. We're teaching one another. There are things you know that I don't know. There are things I know that you might not know. And we learn from one another. That's discipling. But also we're called to make new disciples. We can't just stay as we are. If we stay as we are, at the number we are, the people we are, what a waste of time. We have to share it. We've got to spread this around. We need to make new disciples. So how do we do that? How are we going to make new disciples? How are we going to multiply disciples? Well, the disciples in scripture, the the disciples in the scripture that we read are told that they will be witnesses. Okay, they're going to make disciples by being a witness. So we need to look at what a witness is and what is being witnessed to. But there's another part to this that and and, and in Acts 1 8, they were told about this. This is key. The disciples are told to wait until they receive power. This power is the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, we cannot be the witnesses that God wants us to be without being filled with the power of the Spirit. We cannot make new disciples without being filled with the power of the Spirit. We cannot do this in our own strength. And if we try, we're going to find it even harder than it already seems to be at times. But actually, when God's power comes, we can do it just like Peter did. Remember the context of how Peter did that. They were scared. They were hiding. They were being persecuted. And then suddenly he's out there and he's preaching. And he's not scared at all. Well, he doesn't appear to be because he's bold. But actually, it's because he's filled with the Spirit. And this is not just at that point 
in scripture that we see people being filled with the spirit and being bold and doing amazing things. It happens all through the Bible. Judges chapter 6 verses 33 and 34 says this. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. And here's the key bit. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. Gideon did amazing things for God, but only after he'd been clothed with power from on high. He'd been filled with the spirit. Now, it was different in the Old Testament in that only particular people were filled with the spirit for particular things at particular times. But actually for us, you, we are a people full of the spirit of God for every day. Because that is what it is to live post-New Testament times. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah, filled with the spirit, good news to the poor. And then into the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her, this is, this is Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That was as Jesus came. You see, amazing things happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Even Jesus, who is God, walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's a quote from his baptism. Mark chapter 1, verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. If we are to be able to do all that God has called us to do, namely make disciples, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Not only as individuals, though. We need a church that is open and willing for the Holy Spirit to direct, to move, to be in charge. Rob spoke last week about the years of work and preparation that went on in Jubilee Church, long before we were here, although heard about it all the time. It was amazing. Lots of preparation on the values, the culture, the way we behave, the way we are with one another. Why? To build something that God was happy to inhabit by his spirit. To make a dwelling place. In the Old Testament, that dwelling place was the tabernacle. And then when the temple had been built, it was the temple. That's where the glory of God dwelt. Now it's God's people. We are the dwelling place of God. And before we get too individualistic and go, yes, I am. Actually, yes, we are. We are the church, the dwelling place of God. Our Western mindset kind of individualizes everything. Actually, we can't do this on our own. It's the Holy Spirit and it's one another. This is a mission that God has got a church for. A church, that's us, that's you, that's together. Yes, we do things on our own at times. You know, you guys won't be with me when I'm at work tomorrow. It'd be much more fun if you were. <laughs> Any of you, if you want to, you feel free. But together, God's people, a people who are, who are full of the Spirit. And the presence of God by his Spirit is here. Again, as Rob spoke last week and talked about 
the, the, the container that's been built. And again, container not in a restrictive sense, but a container where God can dwell, a, a place where God can dwell. As, as God is doing that with us, he's doing it for a purpose. He's doing it so that we have all we need to make and multiply disciples. We need that power. We're no different to anyone else in history. We need the power of God in order to do what he's called us to do. In Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. This was in the context of difficulties and opposition in rebuilding the temple. We are building, or God is building his church, and we're part of that. This is the building of what is now the temple, the dwelling place of God, the people of God. There will come times of opposition as we build it. There will become times where people stand against us, stand against you, reject you, reject what you've said. That will happen. It's always happened. Sometimes it will come from the most unlikely source. But God says, don't worry, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit that we will build this. It's by my spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here. Rob pointed that out last week. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? As we gather to worship, God is doing something in this place. I've been in, I've been in churches, every, well, always, my whole life. I've never, ever been in a place where I've not been part of a church as I was brought up in a Christian home. And I'm very grateful for that. But I've never experienced anything week after week after week like this. Never. And yes, I was there in the 70s when the charismatic renewal was just breaking out. I was only little, obviously, really, really young. I'm little, still am. Yeah, I know. I was waiting for that. But God is doing something here that is normal or should be. God is doing something here that he says, this is my intention for the church now, is that it is full of my spirit, full of my presence, so that you will go out and make disciples. Not just so that you'll have a good time and enjoy yourselves, but that's okay to do that. But actually, so that you'll go and make disciples. You'll go and multiply disciples. You'll go and be my witnesses. Because I've given you the power, now go and do it. We are in the position now as a church, I believe, that God is saying, okay, this is it. It's time to go. It's time to do it. It's time to be that witness. And I've given you all that you need. Everything. You have no needs because I've supplied everything you need. Like I said when I started, we need more and more people 
in here worshipping God. People were made, and this is sort of a, I don't think I've quoted this perfectly, but this is the gist of what they call the Westminster Catechism. I didn't write it down, I'm sure that's what they call it. The chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. And if people aren't worshipping God and enjoying him forever, they're not doing what they were made for. Their life, there's something missing from their life. We're the ones to take that to them. We're the ones that have that. We're the ones that need to talk about it. We need more worshippers. Again, I quoted this last time, I'm sure. Uh, John Piper said, mission exists because worship doesn't. We are on God's mission because not everybody is yet worshipping him. One day, every knee will bow, but some of those will be forced because they'll suddenly realise, we want to get people before that. We really do. So, We are empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to do what? To be witnesses. That's the first step in making a disciple is to be a witness. And a witness is someone who tells of what they've seen and what they've experienced, just like in a court of law. In a court of law where a witness is stood up and they say, and what did you see? Say, well, I saw this and this and this. And I experienced this. And in a court of law... I know this because I spoke to someone about it who was a police officer. And uh, he said, in a court of law, a testimony of a witness is given huge standing. I mean, it is just, it's irrefutable. Actually, no, you cannot argue with me because I saw it. It's irrefutable. We are called to be those irrefutable witnesses. But what are we a witness to? Now, I used to struggle a bit with this because I don't what I don't have what would be classed as a. And this is what I used to think. And I'll tell you what I now think in, in a moment. I don't have what you would call a spectacular testimony. I can't stand up here and tell you of great deliverance from sin and shame and robberies and murders and drug addiction. And I don't have that. OK. I was brought up in a Christian home. The worst thing I did was probably, I don't know, I can't even think. It wasn't that bad. I was, I was boringly good, okay? I was boringly good. My kids here, I'm not going to confess to anything. <laughs> I might have had an occasional beer too many when I was a teenager. But listen, it's very unremarkable. And I thought, well, what, what am I a witness to? What? I've got nothing to say. But you know what? We have got to be really careful that we don't play down the saving work of Jesus. The fact that you or I have changed and been saved into God's family is spectacular. No matter who you are or what you've done or what you haven't done, it doesn't matter. The fact that you are saved, believe me, is pretty spectacular. It is, isn't it? Because in the end, we've all fallen short of God's glory. It doesn't matter whether you've hit 10% of God's, God's standard or 99% of God's standard. You need saving just the same. It makes no difference. Fallen is fallen. We say this on the Alpha course. 
You can't have a nearly clean driving license. It's either clean or it's not. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask whose is and whose isn't. Mine's clean, by the way. (laughs) I'd use a different illustration if it wasn't. (laughs) You You can't be kind of all right. We've all fallen short of God's standard. So the fact that you are here worshipping God is spectacular because you were fallen. You were dead, utterly dead, full of sin and shame and guilt. Now you're not. You are full of God, his spirit. You're his. You are who he says you are. You are. No, you are. You've met God's standard. You haven't. Jesus has. And he's done it for you. You see, it doesn't matter how good or bad your life has been. You still need salvation in the same way as everybody else. Even if you're a multiple murderer, before you became a Christian, you were in no better place than them. That is why the gospel is often called offensive. You don't meet God's standard, so you can't come into his presence. But you have been saved. You are a witness to what Jesus did on the cross when he took your sins, my sins upon himself and died in our place. He was buried with those sins. Then he was raised up to life, defeating death, defeating sin and making a way for us to come into his presence because the punishment we deserved, he took upon himself. That is what you're a witness to. And you can tell anybody that. It doesn't matter what stories you think you have or don't have. You've got that one. And you're a witness to that. And guess what? No one can say, no, he didn't. They can't argue with your experience. They can't argue with that. You know it. It's real. And no one can say it didn't happen. That is what you're a witness to. Jesus got an inheritance from dying on the cross and defeating death. And he's given it to you. And he wants others to have it too. So we need to be a witness. Look at Peter on the day of Pentecost that we read. What did he witness to after he'd been filled with the Spirit? He didn't talk about himself. He talked about Jesus. We're witnesses to what Jesus has done, not what we've done. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are witnesses to what Jesus has done in us and how he's changed us. And if you do have good stories, then tell them. But if you don't, don't worry. You do have a good story still. Don't be put off. Don't trivialize what Jesus has done for you. Let's be Jesus focused in the way we witness. Let's tell people what he's done for us, what he's done in us. But we've got to do it. Romans 10 verses 12 to 15 says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Brilliant, that, isn't it? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
So we already know we've been sent. So if we work backwards through that, we've already been sent. So they now they need someone to preach. Because then when someone's preached, they've heard. And when they've heard, they can decide. Now don't worry when it says preach. You don't have to stand in front of everybody like this and, and do that. It just means communicate. Talk. Talk to your friends. Be that witness of all God has done for you. Because if you don't, how are they going to hear? It's down to us. And, you know, sometimes we do get opposition. Sometimes people don't want to hear. But you know what? I think sometimes we get in our head that people won't want to hear before we've even tried. Our passage there says, how beautiful. Let me read that again. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I believe that God has brought us to this place for a reason. And when we go and speak to people, they'll be ready. Because God doesn't do this for no reason. God doesn't set this up this way to have us fail. Because God doesn't fail. People are ready. People are ready to hear it. People are ready to hear that. Yes, there will be opposition. Yes, this could be difficult. When I was at school, after I was filled with the Spirit, early teens, I went to school and I told everybody. It might not have been the most subtle thing that I've ever done. I just told everybody. I lost all my friends overnight, every one of them. Well, apart from two. I'd been pretty popular up until then, obviously. You know? <laughs> no one would speak to me. They thought, hey, he's the weirdo. You know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's tough. But it's worth it. It's worth it when we see our friends saved and added. Now, I'm actually going to draw things to a, to a close fairly quickly now because I want us to respond. But I want to read something from this wonderful book, The Mission of God's People by Christopher J. H. Wright. I can highly recommend it. It's very easy, easy reading. Um, I think I've recommended it before. But I want to read this quote um, to you because it's just it's just really good. Um, he was about to preach from Isaiah 52, which is uh, the passage where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. It's an Old Testament quote that Paul then quoted in Romans. And he said, but what does it mean for them, I thought, as I prepared my sermon on Isaiah 52 and took the text for a walk? I was walking on Tottenham Court Road near my home and I thought, what about these people on the streets of London in their thousands? What does it mean for them that Jesus is the reigning Lord of history, the returning king of creation and the redeemer and saviour of the world? And the answer seemed to bounce back off the walls of the buildings. Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. How can it mean anything if they don't know about it? If they've never heard about Jesus, if nobody has ever told them. And then my text itself seemed to bounce off the walls also, only this time through the words of Paul, who quoted Isaiah 52, 7 in the midst of a similar list of questions. This is the passage we just read out. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Actually, there's nothing very beautiful about feet. The only thing that makes feet beautiful is when they are wearing the running shoes of the gospel. He's talking about Ephesians 6, 15 there. Then they are feet that belong to people who are willing to go. Tell it on the mountain, the mountain of human arrogance that Jesus Christ is born and is reigning. Who will go, tell it on the mountain, the mountain of human despair that Jesus Christ is born and is returning. Go, tell it on the mountain, the mountain of human bondage that Jesus Christ is born and is Redeemer, Saviour and Lord. How amazing is that? Last week we saw that God is preparing us by allowing us to be in his presence week after week after week in a way that we haven't seen for many, many years if ever. But he's preparing us as his witnesses, as his people who are going to talk about him, who are going to be his witnesses, people who are going to count the cost of opposition but are going to go anyway. Go to where he has sent you to and be that witness. Next week, Becky uh, Floyd will be speaking and going into some of the practical ways we can talk to people, so following on from this. But today, I want us to be a people that are filled with power in order to witness. And so we're going to respond. Because I think this is really important. It's an important next step. Now, I was going to say, those who really want to step out in this, Let's get on our feet. But I'm not going to say that. I want us all to stand. So let's stand. And the reason I'm saying this is because we are all called to be witnesses. There are no exclusions. No one's too good for it. No one's too bad for it. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I don't know everybody here, I don't think. If you don't know Jesus, just observe this. You can still stand because actually you can be talking to him and saying, I need to know you. I need this. We are all called to be witnesses. Whatever stage you're at in that, whether you're excited by that, whether you're filled with trepidation about that. God knows that and he wants to move you forward. But he's going to equip you with power from on high. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us all and empower us to be witnesses. Um, After I've done that, we've got a bit of time, I'm going to ask you to get into threes and pray for one another for the power of the Spirit to come upon you and be witnesses. Now, I know what it's like when we get into threes. I know what you lot are like. You get so excited and carried away praying for one another, probably the third person of that three doesn't get prayed for. You know what I mean, don't you? Because you're all so brilliant praying for one another and just ready to give, give, give. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to time it and every now and then I'm going to say change. doesn't matter where you are, change over and pray. I want to make sure everybody gets prayed for, okay? No one misses out. No one gets left behind. God wants everybody to be blessed. God wants everybody to go out from here in his power as his witnesses. We're going to change Solihull. We're going to change the world. Okay. Come on. It's going to happen. If 12, if 12 can do it, what are we going to do? In the power of the Spirit, it's the same power. 3,000 were added that to that. 
to, to the church that day. Why not? Why not? Maybe one or two at a time, maybe not in one day. I don't know. God can do what he likes. Let's not restrict him, though. Okay, let's not restrict him. Let's be expectant. Let's be expectant. Okay, I'm going to pray. Let's get on with this. Holy Spirit, I pray you will come upon us. I pray you will come upon us and give us the power to be your witnesses, to be your witnesses here to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit, come come upon us. And I say now, as you go, as you go from this place this week, that you will be witnesses. You will not be able to help yourselves but to witness. You will go in power and you will be witnesses. You won't have any choice. It will spill out of you because of what God has put into you. Go and be witnesses in the power of Jesus.